Acts chapter 10 and verse 44, the Bible says, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. What that means is the Jewish people that were with the Apostle Peter, who were born-again believers, were amazed. Why was this? Because, it goes on to say, because that on the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these, these Gentiles who had just received the Holy Ghost, should be baptized. It seems that there was silence and nobody presented a reason that these should not be baptized. And so Peter follows that question with this statement. The Bible says in verse 48 that he commanded these Gentiles who were just filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, it was a setup. Amen. It was a setup. It was a setup. God set up this occasion that we find here in Acts chapter 10. And I'm going to give you a little background, a little Bible study today about, about this setup that was designed by God. And I believe that um, what we see in Scripture as a setup for Cornelius and his household to be born again, I believe that God is working a setup in your life. Amen. God is working something in your life. And let's pray together. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us now. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for what you have done and what you're doing. We thank you for each and every soul that is in this room, from the youngest to the eldest, Lord, from the church member that has been a part of the refuge for many years to the guest that is perhaps joining us for the very first time, we believe that none of us are here by accident, but Lord, you have a purpose and a plan for each, purpose, uh, each person in this room. I pray that your spirit would be poured out, that your presence would continue to move and minister, and that our hearts would be receptive to your word. Help me to speak as your spirit leads me. I believe that the Holy Ghost in me will lead me to speak to this people so that we might hear the word of the Lord today. And let us receive it. Let us, Lord, respond to the word as it is preached with faith. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say amen. Amen. If you think Jesus is great, why don't we join together one more time before we're seated and give him a great hand clap of praise, everybody. We love you. Bless you, you may be seated. To understand how detailed this setup, if you will, is in God's plan and purpose, you really need to survey the, the previous chapters up to this point in the book of Acts. We find from the very outset in Acts chapter 1, we find the last and final words that Jesus would give to his disciples before 
he would depart out of their sight, ascending up into heaven. And today we still wait his return. But some of the last words he said to them, he wanted them to be empowered by the Spirit. That's why he commanded them to go to Jerusalem and to wait until they receive the Spirit. He said, but when you receive my Spirit, he said, it will allow you, it will empower you to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, where you'll initially be stationed at, in Jerusalem, in Samaria, which is a place where usually the Jews and the Samaritans don't come together, but Jesus said you'll be a witness even to those people that previously the Jews had prejudice against and the Samaritans had prejudice against the Jews. You'll be a witness of me to them and then you'll go throughout all the province or the land of Judah or as we see in the New Testament called Judea. You're going to go to all of the province of Judah or Judea and then he says you'll even go beyond that to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so we see right here in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus predicts, he forecasts that his apostles, his disciples would preach and be witnesses of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Ghost throughout Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and to the uttermost part of the earth. And we see it happen just like he said. Imagine that. Imagine that the Lord would give a word of prediction and it would come to pass just as he said it would. How many believes that God's word is true? That if he said it, it shall be. Whether it is now or not, it shall be even as he said it will be. Every prophecy, every word will come to pass. How many knows that sometimes those prophecies and those promises, we may have to wait on them a while. We may have to pray to see them come to pass. But they shall come to pass. You can bank on it. We find in Acts chapter 2 that the Spirit was poured out. Where was this Spirit poured out? Where was the Spirit poured out? It was in Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem, there were 120 that awaited the outpouring of the gift of the Holy Ghost. There were 120 that were the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we know that they received it because they had that first proof or evidence as they began to speak in other tongues. We find that from there that 3,000 came together at this spectacle, this supernatural spectacle of these 120 that were freshly filled with the Holy Ghost. And Peter took the opportunity to preach to them Jesus Christ and 3,000 received and believed his word. We find in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 we find a crippled man miraculously healed and then another 5,000 added. But then we see things begin to change and evolve as the church continues to grow. And in Acts chapter 6, we find that the church grew to such an extent that really it reached beyond what the apostles were able to uh, manage. And so they recruited seven elders, seven leaders from among the believers who were men full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost and of an honest report. And they recruited them to also lead together with them. Among the seven was a man by the name of Philip. Everyone say Philip. This is very important. 
to our story here, we see that he becomes a key character. Philip is among the seven, and so also among the seven is a man by the name of Stephen. Everyone say Stephen. Stephen was also one of these seven church leaders that his primary responsibility was just to make sure that needs were being met. Counseling sessions were being done. People were being connected. They were, they were pastors under pastors. They were individuals that were leadership under leadership because the church was being added to and multiplied. And we see this board of elders, if you will. We see these elders, these seven elders. But listen, make no mistake that just because these seven operated in a place of leadership under the apostles, they did not minimize their position and their influence, but they went everywhere preaching. It didn't matter if people wanted to hear it or not. And so we find Stephen preaching about Jesus Christ and how Jesus is the Messiah who was prophesied should come. That, in fact, Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And at this, Jews hated him so much for his message that they killed him. And Stephen becomes the first that we know of, recorded in church history, the first Christian martyr, a man who would die for his faith. And this persecution was led by a man named Saul of Tarsus. And Saul hated these Christians. He hated these people who were followers of the teachings of Jesus Christ because he saw them as a threat to his tradition and his religion. Mind you that Saul believed everything from Genesis to Malachi. He believed the Old Testament law. He followed according to his heart. He followed the same God that called Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. He followed the same God that called Abram out of Ur the Chaldees and made a covenant with him and his son Isaac and Jacob who he called. His God was the God of Israel. And Saul, who served the God of Israel, saw these people who preached Jesus as Lord as a threat to his religion. And therefore, in his passion... He sought to annihilate this newfound faith, these Christians who follow Jesus. Are you still with me? Say amen. This caused the church to begin to spread out. It was like there was this great big bonfire of the Holy Ghost in Jerusalem that was centrally located, and the church was popping and going and expanding and now persecution was trying to come and put out the fire and instead of putting it out what happened the fire spread the fire spread from Jerusalem and guess where it went Samaria because Jesus said you're going to be my witnesses or you're going to testify of me and knowing me in Samaria and we find that the man who went to Samaria to preach, his name was, everyone say Philip. Philip went to preach in Samaria. And Philip preached it real. Preached, he preached it straight. And the Bible records that Samaria, the city of Samaria, heard the word. They believed the word. They were gladly receiving the word. There were even miracles happening. Stay with me today, Refuge. There were miracles happening among Samar the, the Samaritan revival. But nobody had received the Holy Ghost yet. Brother Parker, 
the people believed. They were baptized. They were seeing miracles. They were excited. There were unclean spirits being cast out of the demon-possessed. But nobody had been receiving the Holy Ghost yet. So they called back to Jerusalem. Hey, listen up, Jerusalem. We've got, we've got some... We've got some revival going on here, but we haven't seen a breakthrough yet. Nobody's yet received the gift of the Holy Ghost, and we know that to be a, an, an essential to someone's salvation. So who do they send from Jerusalem? Peter and John. Peter and John goes to Samaria, and the Bible says that they took account of what was going on, and then they laid hands on people. After they figured out what was going on, they laid hands on people's heads and started praying for them. These people that believed and were baptized, and they started praying for them, and they started receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Oh, praise God. Oh, praise God. So we find that the Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit, moves from Jerusalem to Samaria. And Philip is preaching, and Peter and John come, and they see people filled with the Holy Ghost. But watch this now. An angel of the Lord comes to Philip, and he says, Philip, I know that the revival is hot here in Samaria, but listen, I've got another job for you. I know that you're seeing an entire city come to Christ and be born again, but I've got an important mission for you. Philip, I want you to go down south. That's it. I just want you to start going south. And so Philip takes out his compass, and he finds north, and then he starts heading south. And he leaves a revival where the whole city is believing. The whole city is receiving. The whole city is being baptized. And God sends him on a mission, a sniper mission. This isn't going to be a shotgun revival where you just blast them all and let God sort them out. No. This is a sniper mission where Philip goes into a desert place. And there's the lizards, there's the scorpions, and then here comes a caravan from Jerusalem headed towards Africa. And in this caravan is an Ethiopian man who is in charge of a queen's finances, Queen Candace of Ethiopia. And Philip gets instructions to join yourself with that Ethiopian man, that man from Africa. Go to him. And he joins him, and he hears the Ethiopian reading from the prophet Isaiah. He had scrolls of the prophet Isaiah. And he's reading, and Philip says, do you know what you're reading? And the man says, I don't have a clue. I wish someone would help me out and explain to me what the Bible says and what it means. Has anybody ever felt like that? You've been reading the Bible, and you're like, listen, I know this is important, and I know it's good, and I can't put it down, but I really don't know what it means yet. And so he says, I don't know what it means. And Philip said, let me help you out. And he said, where are you reading that? He said, the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. He says, let me get that, let me get that Bible. And he picks it up, and he reads it, and he says, listen, do you know who that's talking about? And the guy says, I don't know. He says, that's talking about Jesus. Have you heard about Jesus? He says, no, I've never heard about Jesus. He says, let me tell you about Jesus. And somewhere, Brother Craig, in the message from the book of Isaiah, Philip must have told him that he needs to be baptized in the name of Jesus. You know why I know that? Because the Bible says that the Ethiopian man stops the, the chariot, stops the caravan and says, hey, there's a pond right over there. 
Is there a reason that I should not get baptized? Can I get baptized right now? God sent Philip out of a citywide revival because he heard the cry of a hungry heart that was on his way back to Africa that was just wanting some revelation. And God says, Philip, I need you to meet him because the window of opportunity might close soon. So I want you to meet him. And we find that he's hungry. We find that he's ready because he says, listen, there's water here. What's stopping me from being baptized? And he steps on in the water with Philip. He goes down in the name of Jesus. Someone clap your hands and give the Lord a praise. Oh, give the Lord a praise. Come on, God is good. We're clapping our hands because that's a soul. A soul that was on his way, not just to Ethiopia, but that was a soul on its way to hell. But God intervened. God had a setup involved where he brought a preacher into a man's life who was on his way to hell. But he was baptized that day in the name of Jesus for the remission of his sins. Oh, praise God. The Bible says that when the the man came out of the water, now watch this. You can't make this stuff up. When the man came out of the water, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the man could not see him. He was gone. Talk about teleportation. God took Philip. I mean, Philip must have been something. The Bible says he took Philip from Samaria to the desert, and then he just zaps him up. Are you, do, you know what, do you know what I'm saying? Like this is not, he just like walked and the Lord helped him walk really fast. He was gone. Here today, gone. Gone. And the Bible says that Philip from that point on, he started preaching in different places. And he wound up, watch this now, Philip winds up going to the city called Caesarea. Philip goes to Caesarea, and that's where the the story ends, at least at that point. Philip goes to Caesarea, Jesus Christ. And then you go through all of Acts chapter 9, you see Acts chapter 9 about Saul of Tarsus, and he gets this vision, and Saul becomes known as Paul. He gets filled with the Holy Ghost, gets baptized. The lead prosecutor against the church, the guy that wanted all Christians dead, God says, I've got another plan for you, man. I've got another purpose for your life. I see your zeal. I see your passion. And you think you're doing right. But listen, you're trying to, you're trying to destroy me. And he says, who are you? Who, who's the Lord then? He says, I'm Jesus. Nice to meet you. Imagine that. Saul had been serving the Lord but never really knew him until there was a light that shone brighter than the sun at noonday. And he himself to Saul who thinks he's serving the Lord and Saul gets a revelation that he is Jesus, that the Lord is Jesus, the God of Abraham is Jesus. Now, we're not going to preach that, but we could, but let's go beyond that. The Bible says in Acts chapter 9, the second half of Acts chapter 9, that there is the apostle Peter. Remember Peter? He's the guy that went to Samaria, laid hands on people. They received the Holy Ghost, right? 
The Bible says that after Peter and John kind of laid their hands on all people and everyone started receiving the Holy Ghost and you know what? The work is done. Peter and John head back to Jerusalem. On their way back to Jerusalem, they're preaching to different villages and cities and they go back to Jerusalem. Now watch this. Peter then, after a time, a period of time, Peter starts traveling. He becomes an evangelist for a little while. And he's traveling from place to place. Because revival is just like going all over the place. You know, because the Christians were spread out from Jerusalem. And so everyone's, everyone's getting this revelation of Jesus Christ. Everyone's being born again. And so what Peter does, he says, I'm going to go visit all of these little pockets of revival. And I'm going to make sure everybody's healthy and everybody's on the right track and they're believing the right thing. So he's going around and he comes to a place called Lydda. You find it at the end of Acts chapter 9. And in Lydda, he finds a man named Aeneas. And Aeneas had been crippled for eight years. And I don't know what it was about Aeneas. I don't know what set him apart from every other crippled man, every other sick person. But for some reason, Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts by the inspiration of the Spirit, he put in the sacred text that Peter looked at Aeneas and he prayed for him and then he looked at him and he says, get up, make your bed and go home. And immediately, the man who was crippled for eight years got up, made his bed, and was made whole. After eight years of being a cripple, he's now miraculously made whole. Now, Lida was really close to a city named Joppa. Now, I know that Joppa, it sounds like it's come out of the pages of Star Wars or something. But Joppa is this city that's right on the coast. So you got all of Israel... And then you got the, that sea, that great sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and on the coast is a city called Joppa. And in Joppa is a lady by the name of Tabitha. And Tabitha, she's noteworthy. She's notable among all the, all the church. The Bible says that this woman was filled with good works. She did good things. And also, the Bible says that she gave much alms, that she was very generous. Now, mind you, it's hard to be very generous or give much away if you don't have much to begin with. Unless you just have a pattern of what comes in also goes out. But whatever the case, Tabitha was a conduit. She was a pipeline for the blessings of God to flow through her and not simply in her. After becoming a Christian that became very much a noteworthy Christian and a leader in the church... Tabitha was a leader in the church because she did good works for people and she was a pipeline for the blessings of God to flow through her to others. Now watch this. Tabitha gets sick and Tabitha dies. And I think it's good for us just to pause here for a moment and recognize the fact that here is a good, godly, believing, faithful woman who does good works and is generous with her resources that still gets sick. And dies. Just because I'm a blood-washed, spirit-filled, tongue-talking, Holy Ghost-filled believer doesn't make me immune to all the frailties of human flesh. We could get sick. We can die. This pandemic has showed me time and time again where I know preachers and preachers' wives and ministers and saints of God that have gotten sick and passed away. This woman was a good, godly woman. She got sick and she died. But watch this. 
Peter was in Lydda. Lydda was right next door to Joppa. And the people in Joppa who were under Tabitha's leadership, because she was a leader, she was a church leader, they called over to Lydda. They sent messengers to Lydda and said, listen, Peter, come on over. We've got this precious church mama that has passed away. Can you come over? And they were preparing her body for burial. They had cleansed her body. They had laid her in this upper chamber. And Peter comes over. And Peter goes into the place where her body lays on a bed. And there in the room were all those that mourned her passing. Because it's okay to mourn the passing of a fellow believer. It's okay to cry when someone you love deeply and dearly that is a believer dies because they will not be with us in body any longer here on earth and we won't see them until we reach the glorious place of heaven. And there is a part of us that has that human connection that grieves and these people were grieving because Tabitha wasn't with them anymore. But Peter said there's another work to be done here. And he wanted all of those that were grieving or passing to go out of the room. And after they went out of the room, the Bible says that he knelt down beside her body and he prayed. And he prayed. And then he looks at Tabitha's lifeless body and says, Tabitha, get up. <laughs> Tabitha, get up. The Bible says Tabitha opened her eyes. And when she saw the Apostle Peter, she sat up. And Peter took her by the hand and lifted her up out of bed. I'm talking about the church that we are a continuation of. The church that sees a crippled man who had been in a wheelchair for eight years get up and walk. The church that sees a dead person get up from the dead. We are a continuation of the church. What we see there in Acts 9 and Acts 8, we can see here today. We can see in the 21st century. If you believe it, clap your hands to the Lord. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. But watch this. The Bible says that Peter causes, he speaks to the lifeless body and commands the body. He does not command God. He prays to the Lord first. No doubt finding the plan and the will of God in this situation. No doubt in prayer he felt confirmation and he felt release to then command the body. Not command God, but to command the body. Tabitha get up. And she got up from the dead. Rose from the dead. Bible says that then he called in all the grieving party, all the, the funeral procession, told them to come in and they were like, woo! Party time! They went from crying to laughing and celebrating and rejoicing and shouting because he who was dead is now alive. So, he's in Joppa. The Apostle Peter's in Joppa. And he, he decides he's going to stay there for a while. He's going to make sure the church is established in Joppa. And he, he's staying with a leather maker that's right there on the sea coast of, of Joppa and, and he's staying at that at that man's house and while he's at the man's house someone say it's a setup it's a setup while he's at that man's house we're in Caesarea do you guys remember who's in Caesarea does anyone remember the man who was in Samaria the man who baptized the Ethiopian who's in Caesarea Philip Philip is in Caesarea he's preaching his guts out no doubt and among 
those receiving the message was a soldier, a captain, a centurion named Cornelius. And Cornelius, the Bible says, by this point, he's a devout man. He's a Gentile as Gentiles come. But he's a devout man. He fears God. And he doesn't just do it by himself. The Bible says that the faith he gets, he also shares. This man of position. When the Bible says he was a centurion of the band called the Italian band, that means he was a captain over a hundred who was part of a band of soldiers that probably numbered about 600. And he was the captain over the hundred of the 600. And he was a Roman citizen. No doubt he was Roman by birth. No doubt the people that he led were his comrades and his brethren from Italy. The country that held Rome, that was the epicenter of the Roman Empire. Watch this now. We're talking about pagan people who were under the rule of an emperor over the Roman Empire that had been brought up, born and bred and brought up under paganism, under polytheism, believing in many gods, believing in ancestral gods, believing that they might miss a god, and so let's call this statue over here the unknown god. And this pagan man, when he heard this elder preaching in Caesarea, he said, you know what, that's something like I've never heard before. And whatever it was, it caused this man, who had no Jewish roots, to believe in Jesus Christ. Now watch this. He believed with his whole house. That, by, that, that doesn't just mean it was his wife and his kids. That no doubt meant it was his slaves and his soldiers, his servants and those under his charge. He brought them in. Could you imagine that kind of revival? Are you with me today? Could, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm preaching today. I'm preaching about the next wave of revival for the Refuge United Pentecostal Church. I'm preaching about the next wave of growth and revival for the United Pentecostal Church is being found in this setup that God had put together. This is what's going to happen. This is what we are going to see. Cornelius was a pagan man who had perhaps picked up a pamphlet a little track. He had heard something. He got an invitation and somehow along the way it reached him and he believed with what he knew and what he understood. He believed in the light in which he received. And God, and God was looking high and low because the revival was not to be contained in Jerusalem or Samaria or Judea. But Jesus Christ prophesied in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says, you are going to be witnesses of me unto the uttermost part of the earth. He says, the people that are so far that you think you can never reach them. He says, you're going to testify of me even to those that you feel like they're too far gone. They'll never believe. They'll never bow their knee. They'll never be born again. He says those people will get it too. Woo! 
I feel the Holy Ghost welling up in this place. I wish somebody would catch the fire of the Spirit that is fixing to fall upon us that will send us and propel us to the next wave of revival and growth for the refuge church. The Bible says that Cornelius, who was in Caesarea Philippi, that he had believed and he began to pray all the time and he was hungry and he caused his wife and his kids and his servants and his soldiers to believe. He said, listen, we got to get a hold of this stuff. This stuff is for real. This stuff is, this stuff is eternal. You got to get a hold of this message. And he was bringing them in. And listen, watch us now, watch us. Tabitha, the Bible says that she was generous. She gave much alms. And that was in Acts chapter 9. But then we jump into Acts chapter 10. We can't help but notice the connection that the Bible notes that Cornelius was a man who gave much alms. You see, because one of the earmarks or hallmarks of truly born-again believers, people that like precious faith, is they are conduits or pipelines for the blessings of God to flow. Oh, I want to be that conduit. I want to be that vessel that God pours into me and pours through me whatever he wants to do I want to do good things I want to do good things I don't want to do good things for just good things sake and I don't want to simply do good things so that people could recognize me but listen how can I who have been a recipient of such amazing grace and bountiless mercy and perfect love how how can I shut up my resources and not share the wealth of God's grace and mercy and love and goodness James the elder and half-brother of Jesus Christ said if you see someone that, is clo uh, that doesn't have clothing, that's cold, that's hurting, that's broken, and you tell them, be warm, and you don't give them what you have, what good is that to them? He says, but if you know that you could do something good and you don't do it, it's a sin to you. I don't know about you, but that haunts me. That haunts me. That we could preach against the sin of fornication and idolatry and all of these other sins that perhaps we used to be touched by but that we're not touched by anymore. But yet we could be guilty of the sin of omission where we know to do good and we fail to do it and we put it off till tomorrow. But Bible says that we are not promised tomorrow. And that's why if you know to do something good today, don't put it off till tomorrow because tomorrow is not promised. Listen, that goes beyond just good works with monetary and material blessings. But if you are here today and you know that you need to repent and you know that you need to be baptized and you know that you need to recommit your life to Christ, don't wait till next Sunday and don't wait till tomorrow. If there's something you know you should do today, then take the opportunity that the present affords you and take it and do it. Somebody say amen. Oh, Hallelujah. And Cornelius, he was a man who prayed, gave much alms, believed with all his house, feared God. And the Bible, watch this now, the Bible says that an angel appeared to him. Why? Because angels are looking for, oh, he, uh, angels are looking for people who will believe the report, who are, who are ready for the miracle, who are ready for what God wants to do. God was looking for someone to be the first Gentile convert. And he found Cornelius in Caesarea, where Philip was preaching. And the Bible says that he appeared to him. And he says, listen, everything that you're doing, it's good. 
It should be done. But it's not everything. Listen, what you've done up to this point is good. Look at your neighbor and say, it's good. But it's not all good. It's not all the good that God has for you. Look at your neighbor and say, God has more. Come on. Say, God has more. You have believed what you have believed up to this point, and you have walked in the light that has been afforded to you. But God has more, just like he did for Cornelius. And he said, Cornelius, listen, watch this now. An angel of God appears. Are you hearing me? Say amen. An angel of God appears to Cornelius and tells him, listen, God has more for you to do. Do you follow me? God has more for you to do, the angel said. Now watch this. But I ain't going to tell you. What? You're going you're gonna to move at the speed of light from heaven to here and tell me that God has more for me, but not tell me what it is? I'm going to tell you that you need to obey the word you're about to receive. And you're going to send some of your servants to a city called Joppa. Some will say it's a setup. You're going to go to Joppa. And you're going to find a man by the name of the apostle apostle Peter. Peter. And he's going to tell you what you should do. Now we find no dialogue. We find no debate. And we find no delay. But what does Cornelius do, Brother Randall? He, he obeys the vision. He obeys the angel. He gets two of his servants, and he gets one of his soldiers, and he spares no expense by taking these hired men and sending them on a journey, three-day journey, to Joppa to find Simon, Peter. And Cornelius could hardly wait. Cornelius could hardly wait. No doubt he was at least as anxious as my son has been to hear back from Culver's on his job application. Asking me every day if Culver's has called back to hire him. And Cornelius couldn't wait. No doubt he paced a a trench in his floor. By the time Peter does make it, the Bible says that Cornelius got together all of his kinsfolk, his relatives, his house, his neighbors. He got them all together. Sister Maria, it was probably because they got tired of him talking about how excited he was. But all he knew is the angel of God told him that Peter, a man, a mere man, was going to tell him what God needed him to hear. Does not the question stand to be asked, could not God tell him himself? Could not God use the angel to tell Cornelius what he needed to do? Seems like a logical question to ask. But no, God, the almighty creator who became our savior, he would not release the outpouring of this promise coming of the spirit in Cornelius' life until Peter obeyed and Cornelius obeyed and they came came together as an odd couple. It was an odd couple. 
Peter was a crude fisherman. Peter was unlearned, uneducated, but he was filled with the spirit and passion, and he had a fresh revelation of who Jesus was. Cornelius was an educated soldier and captain of soldiers, and he was coming from Italy, coming perhaps even from Rome itself, and he was there, a person of power and position, and this unlikely pair came together. Some will say it was a setup. But mind you, as eager as Cornelius was, I'm almost done, as eager as Cornelius was, as eager as he was, Peter was at least that much reluctant. An angel tells Cornelius one time, go get Peter. And Cornelius is like, yes, sir, absolutely, right away, sir. Anything else, sir? Peter gets a vision from the Lord, and the Lord speaks to him in this vision. He's like, ah, I don't, I, don't, I don't get it. And so a second vision comes. Peter's like, ah, I still don't get it. And a third vision comes, and Peter's like, ah, man, I, I just, I'm not connecting the dots here. And finally, after three visions, the voice of the Lord says, Peter, there's three people at the door to see you. Don't question anymore, just go with them. And so we find an eager believer paired with a reluctant preacher. But guess what is fixing to happen? The Gentile, the door to the Gentiles is about to open up and people are going to receive the Holy Ghost that have no Jewish ancestry, that have no... I'll tell you, when this message was born in my heart, in prayer, I'll tell you what I started to say. God, I thank you for Cornelius. I thank you for Cornelius. I thank you for a man that feared God. I thank you for a, a man that was willing to obey even when it didn't make sense. I'm thankful for a man that was willing to leave tradition to adopt this newfound religion and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank God for Cornelius. God could do amazing things. Watch this now. This is what I feel led to the Lord to tell some of my refuge family. God could do amazing things with a reluctant preacher and an eager believer. What that means to us today is that some of you, you are like Peter. And perhaps there is a certain circle of church and revival and the work of the Spirit that you're comfortable with. There's a certain area of the working of God's Spirit and His work in your life. You're comfortable with this. But over here, someone else has to. I don't know about that. I'm, I, I, I'll be good in Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea. I don't know about over there. I'm, I'm a little reluctant. You can hit me three times upside the head, but I'm still not getting it, Lord. But listen, there are in this room and out these doors, there are people that are believers, that are walking in the light that they have up to this point. And God is sending angelic visitations to them and telling them there is more for them to hear and to obey. And you've got to find the Apostle Peter. You've got to find the Refuge Church. You've got to find Brother Walker. You've got to find Sister Jody. You've got to find these believers because they're going to tell you what you ought to do. God could tell these eager believers what he needs them to do. He could send an angel to tell them what to do. But no, God's going to use the people under the sound of my voice to bring a message to Cornelius. Who is Cornelius? Who is Cornelius to you? Who is he? Maybe it's a she. 
Maybe it's someone that you know that has influence, power, and position. They are over and administrate companies and groups of people and businesses. And maybe you felt intimidated previously. And maybe you felt like they would never listen previously. But God has been doing a work without men's hands. But now he's looking to involve you in the work of salvation in the life of Cornelius. There is a Cornelius outside these doors and in this room that are waiting for a reluctant group of believers to say, oh, I guess so. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know about this. I've never been in a house like this. I've never talked to people like this. I've never sat down with someone like this. But Lord, I'm going to obey. I'm a little reluctant. And God says, that's all I need. That's all I need. You can be a little hesitant. You can be a little afraid. But you know what courage is? Courage is standing up and going in the face of danger even when you are afraid. Lift up your hands, church family, every, every, every precious saint of God that has received truth from God's word, that has received revelation of Jesus Christ and the new birth. Lift up your hands right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I commission you. I said I commission you in the power and the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, hear his voice. God is calling you. God is calling you to Caesarea. God is calling you to go outside your comfort zone. God is calling you to a Cornelius Somewhere that might be a little outside your comfort zone. Maybe it's a Bible study you've never taught before. Maybe it's a conversation you've never had before. Maybe it's a coworker or an employee that you've never really talked to before about your faith. But today, today, you can hear the call. You're receiving the vision. God is hitting you three times with it. And then his spirit is saying, listen, listen, there is the call at the door. Stand together with me. There's the call at the door. There are three, there are three at the door. There's two servants, and there's a soldier at the door, and they want you to come so badly because they, they're serving a man. Uh -huh. What must it have been like to be the two servants and the soldier who went to Joppa to find Peter? What must it have been like for them to see the one who they serve and whose leadership and influence they sat under to see Cornelius change, <laughs> to see him eager and ready to believe. <laughs> You're talking about a pagan man that's now being visited by the angels of the Lord. I feel in the Holy Ghost that some of you, you're going to be connected with people if you are not already, that angels of God have been visiting. And watch this. This wave of revival that God wants to bring to the Refuge Church, this Cornelius revival, Watch this. It has been prepared by a Philip who has gone before us and has planted some seed. But watch. Cornelius is a man of influence. Cornelius is a man that's not just going to be one to the Lord by himself. But you're going to reach a person with truth that has already won friends and influenced people in a faith that he has up to this point or she has up to this point. Does anybody believe what I'm saying today? Does anybody believe that God is speaking to the refuge right now? That there is a supernatural work of the Spirit that is happening here at the Refuge Church. If you are here and you have this precious truth, it's time to share it. 
it's time to depart from Jerusalem and go out from Samaria and even go beyond Judah and every comfort zone that you've had up to this point and say, you know what? Where's the uttermost part of the earth? Because until I find the end of the uttermost part of the earth, I'm going to keep on walking as the Lord orders my steps. If you're here today, I want you to hear this. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, if you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, this precious gift of new birth is available for you today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm giving an altar call, obviously, for both church folks and guests alike, for people who have been born again and have not yet been born again. Hear the word of the Lord. If you have not yet been born again, if you've not been baptized in Jesus' name, then I stand on good authority with the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 10 who looked at those believers with Cornelius and said, I command you to be baptized in the name of Jesus. If you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, I believe that God's Spirit is ready and willing to pour out in this place to fill you with the promised coming of His Spirit in your life. Now what I need, I need a church family that know how to pray to begin to lift up their voices and create an atmosphere in this room that is conducive to seeing people filled with the Holy Ghost. Whether you are responding to the call to reach Cornelius and Caesarea or you are praying for those that are in this place that have not yet been baptized in Jesus' name or filled with the Holy Ghost, I'm expecting my, my refuge church family to lift up their voices and to lift up faith and expectation right now in this room and begin to fill this room with praise and worship. Come on, like we did and we were instructed last Sunday, let's do it again right now. I believe today's a good day to see someone filled with the gift of the It's a good day to see someone baptized in the name of Jesus. Church family, help me now. Help me now. Lift up your voice. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I worship you, Lord Jesus. Have your way right now. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I believe it would be good for every one of us in this place to take some time in humbling ourselves for just a few moments. And then we're going to get into a space of worship and praise. But some of us, we need to repent of the good that we knew to do that we did not do. And others of us, we need to repent of the things we should not have done that we did anyhow. That was against the word of God and against our own conscience. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder if you would join your voice with ours. Join your voice with mine. Mighty God, we come before you right now. And Lord, we repent of our sins. Lord, we are sorry for the things that we have done that we should not have done. We're sorry for things that we have seen with our eyes that we know that are contradictory to your word and will for our lives. Lord, we're sorry for the things that we've done to our bodies and we've done to others actions Lord God that we repent of that we confess and we turn away from those things and we want to we want to humble ourselves before you and we want to surrender our lives to you 
Help me, church family, right now. There's a guest. There's a new convert in this room that could really use your voice praying out loud right now to help them pray. Lord, we deny ourselves. We take up our cross and we will follow you. We surrender every aspect of our life, every area of our life. We surrender it to you right now. We humble ourselves before you and we declare you to be the Lord of our lives, that you are in charge. That's it. Pray with me. Lord, we declare that you are the Lord of our lives, that you are our Savior, and you alone have the authority to give direction. We choose to obey you even as Cornelius chose to obey you. Without debate, without delay, he chose to obey that heavenly vision and visit. And so in this place, I pray that there would be people who would be so quick and eager to do the same. Lord, we repent. Lord, we deny ourselves. Lord, we reject all that is in the world, the desires of our body, the desires of our eye, the pride of life. We will take up our cross. We will choose to follow you. That's it. Lord, we need you right now in this place. We humble ourselves. We surrender ourselves to you, Lord. Have your way in the name of Jesus. There's some child of God like myself. We need to repent for not listening to the instructions to go to Caesarea. For not listening to the instructions to talk to a Cornelius. Come on, Lord, we repent of the good that we knew to do that we did not do. Help us to have time for a Cornelius. Help us to have time to reach an Ethiopian in the desert. Help us to have time for Samaria. Help us to have time to obey the call and the direction of God in our lives. To reach our world even to the uttermost parts of the earth. Lord, we will be your witnesses. We will be your representatives in this lost and dark world. Here we are, Lord. Here we are, Lord. Now end your prayer with me and say, Lord, here we are. Come on, declare it. Declare it for yourself. Declare it for your marriage. Declare it for your children and your household. Lord, here we are. We are yours. We are yours. We surrender every part. We surrender every area of our lives. We belong to you right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I love you, Lord God. I worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And now, and now we will worship. And now we will praise our God for the revival, this wave of revival that could come. If we will obey that heavenly vision and that voice of the Spirit that's leading us to go in places that we're not comfortable with. Come on, now we will lift up our voices. We will shout. Maybe God is directing you right now to walk across the aisle and to lay your hand on someone's shoulder and pray with someone. Maybe you know someone here that has not yet received the Holy Ghost, who has not yet been baptized in Jesus' name. Maybe God will direct you to go with that person right now and pray with them and talk with them in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord.